0: Well a man his wife and his mother-in-law went on holiday together to the holy land and while they were there the mother-in-law passed away the undertaker told them you have flown her you can have her flown home for 5000 pounds or you can bury her here in the holy land for 150 the man thought about it and told them he'd just have her flown home the undertaker a little puzzled asked why would you spend 5000 pounds to fly your mother-in-law home when it'd be wonderful to have her buried here and only spend 150 The man replied, well, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. (laughs) It's got absolutely nothing to do with my message, but I loved it when I heard it. Come on, let's get down to some business. Last time, you know, I began to share (laughs) about how I felt God is... Same for us as a church family to make this year a year where we seek to learn together, grow together in knowing and in flowing. Knowing the word, the Bible, flowing in the Holy Spirit. And so just a quick recap, we looked at how dynamic, life-giving, creative, uh, new things become possible. New possibilities open up when the word and the spirit come together. We talked about how we must prize and pursue each in equal measure, never to the expense or limitation of the other. We don't need just one, we need both the Word and the Spirit. You remember I quoted R.T. Kendall last time about how the Word and the Spirit are like the sun and the rain, and both are needed to give beauty and balance. He said, the Word is like the sun, the Spirit is like the rain. One without the other can result in a natural disaster. All Word and no Spirit we dry up. All Spirit and no Word we blow up. But with Word and Spirit we grow up. And I talked about God highlighting this whole thing of us learning together and growing together. And this, di- this sense that this new dynamic of what God wanted to do among us was uh, was kind of centered in us positioning and posturing ourselves to say, I just want to be teachable this year. I just, I just want to come in a kind of a humility and that we'll learn together and grow together. It's not about a fella in a pulpit having it. All together, but all of us just bringing ourselves to the feet of Jesus this year and just asking him to teach us and to lead us. And you remember I had Stevie as the pretend rabbi on stage, and we talked about how rabbis and teachers would often sit, be given a high seat, and how disciples, apprentices would come and sit at the feet of the teacher, a posture of humility, uh, positioning themselves in a way that says, I'm, I'm teachable, I want to. I want your input. Into my life, and then we talked about how, in going low, they were lifting that person up, they were elevating them, putting them above themselves. And it was this humble recognition I've got much to learn, you know, way more than I do. Teach me, teach me. And that's why we said that one of the best ways we can understand the word disciple you've heard before is the word apprentice that learning, that growing from one who knows more than we do. And I encouraged us this year as disciples together to make the disposition of our hearts, because humility is really a disposition of our hearts. I said, it's not about me taking away all the chairs this week and saying, let's sit on the floor, but it's a disposition of our heart. And I encourage us in 2023 to come before him, say, Lord, I want to know your word. I want to flow in your Holy Spirit. Be high and lifted up. You are far above, and all you know is far above what I do. Teach me and help me to grow. You'll think to yourselves, well, why did it take you 30, 40 minutes to say that last week and you've just done it in five this one? But I'm just kind of, that's the recap of where we're heading. Do you know I once heard someone say this, God will pass over a million gifted men to get to one humble man. So this whole thing about humility, this whole posture of, of sitting uh, just before the Lord has kind of really grabbed my heart. This whole idea of sitting and, and humility and actually it's... Um, I'm notoriously a pacer in my devotional life, in my time with the Lord. I'm, I'm kind of up and down the lounge, wearing out the carpet. And, uh, but I've actually come into this kind of a new season where I've just been kind of sitting with the Lord in a whole different kind of disposition of heart. And just wanting to come in this way and just saying, like, Lord, I'm here for you. Just, just teach me. Speak to me. And it's something that actually is, is having a real impact. And, and praise God, God's kind of helping me get beyond the stage where I used to find whenever I used to sit, I just used to fall asleep. You know, sometimes it still happens, I'm not going to lie. But actually, just real precious times just sitting in the presence of God. And I was thinking about that and developing that. You know, when it comes to sitting and we think about education and teaching, when it comes to sitting, it's a position we take up, we rest into to receive from. Can I say that to you again? We rest into it to receive from. We're not striving. We're not trying to make anything happen. We're, we're coming because we know the one who is teaching us has much to impart to us. And in sitting and resting in and receiving, we're actually saying, I need you. I need you. I need, I need that information you've got. I need that knowledge that you carry. I want that imparting into my life. And so we're not striving in that context. We're not trying to take a lead. We're not trying to make anything happen. There's a humility about that. And I just want to suggest to us that the first thing I want to say today is that if we want the word and the spirit to move upon us and with us and in our meetings in power, we have to simply come in that disposition of our heart that says we cannot make this happen. So we are resting in to receive from the one who has everything, to learn of him and realize I can't strive, I can't force, I can't make this happen. And so our heart is just to position ourselves in which way that actually invites Christ in 2023 to take the lead. That's really what I want to say to us. I want us this year to just invite Jesus to say, take the lead. As a disciple, come and teach us, take the lead. Now, you know, as we read the pages of the gospel, the, the concept of to be a disciple in those days and to have Jesus physically leading you. Is not a hard concept to grab. And so we know now that the the Lord has ascended back to heaven to the right hand of the Father. We know that he's no longer physically among us. So the question is, how do we as disciples in 2023 invite him to take the lead in our lives? Well, I'm sure you know this, but it's important just to remind us. He leads us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God on earth. I really want that to sink into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is God on earth. Bill Johnson said the Holy Spirit perfectly and completely represents Jesus and the will of the Father. So I can't emphasize, I cannot emphasize enough for us as we go into this year how important our relationship with the Holy Spirit is. He is God on earth. He knows perfectly, he perfectly and completely represents Jesus and the will of the Father. So we desperately need to invite him to come and take the lead if we're to grow in knowing and flowing. You know, as I said to you last time, when we sit to open our Bible, we invite the Holy Spirit. We invite the author, come and illuminate this truth. When we want to know how to flow, we'll see in a minute, Scripture talks about walking with him, keeping in step with him, letting him lead. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26 is where we're just going to hang out a little bit together this morning. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, will you say that with me this morning? If you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is, come on, read it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Or as the New King James Version says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now verse 25 makes this clear inference. If we live by the Spirit, it says, Let us keep in step with or walk by the Spirit. What it's simply saying is that this whole life, your salvation, your relationship with God, everything that God has done, uh, begun in your life, begun how? By the work of the Holy Spirit. John teaches us we are born again. We are born from above how? By the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so Paul is drawing us back to this truth. I want to remind you, your whole salvation, your whole life in Christ, your whole relationship with God, Began by the Holy Spirit's work in us. We live because of Him. And what Paul wants us to begin to grasp is simply this truth. The way this life began by the Spirit is the way this life should continue by the Spirit. We never advance beyond the gospel in many ways. What I mean by that is when in how we live. See, when we first were saved... We understood that my relationship with God began from a place of faith and trust and dependency and humility and yielding. And what Paul is trying to help us to see is my life in God continues from a place of faith and trust and dependency and humility and yielding. If it began by the spirit, it continues by the spirit. I'm to live through this life from a place seeking to bring my disposition disposition of my heart to be a, a place of faith and trust and dependency and humility and just yielding. And so Galatians begins to show us we don't get saved out of sin and then drift into works and drift into human effort to become fruitful. There's no life in that. Jesus died to save us from our dead works. Jesus died to save us from the efforts of our our flesh. Jesus died to save us from our sins. So the key to life and fruitfulness is not let's just have a go and see if we can make something happen. The key to life and fruitfulness is to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And so I have to begin to learn as I enter into this year, I have to just be saying to the Lord, Lord, help me to every day of my life live from a place of faith, from a place of trust and dependency and humility. Help me every day to yield from you just as this life began, just as this relationship began, so it continues. And this word walk in Galatians has a, is, the tense that's written in is the progressive present. Tense. Now, as people who know a lot more about that than I do, but what I I understand is that this word comes with a uh, carrying the notion of continuity. In other words, it means don't just like walk with the spirit, don't just walk by the spirit. It means keep on continually walking with the spirit, keep on continually walking by the spirit. And so when we begin to break it down, it carries actually within it, this just this simple idea of steady progress, moment by moment, day by day, step by step, walking with the Lord. Getting up in the morning or in the evening or whatever, putting one foot in front of the other and walking with him. It carries the idea of heading in a direction that happens the same direction over a long period of time, taking a series of, of steps. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd have probably really liked it if I could have just removed the word walk and had maybe some sort of like faster analogy, like take a car to life and fruitfulness. Because a car would get me there a lot quicker. And I think in truth, um, and I very much include myself in this, sometimes I'd love a car to get me to a place of life and fruitfulness in my, in my relationship with God. I'd love a car to get me to where God wants me to be. Because I want to get there fast. And so we, kind of, we live in a kind of a, a microwave type society. We want it instant. We want it fast. But Galatians tells us it's a walk. Fruitfulness is found in faithfulness. It's about getting up every day, putting one foot in front of the other and walking with him. It's a series often through the course of my day of deliberate choices. When I feel the pull, and we'll talk about this in a moment, in a different direction. Moment by moment, step by step, day by day, through the day, walking with him, letting him lead, letting him guide, letting him direct, and making this a constant pattern in my life. I walk, I walk, I walk. So my devotional life, my relationship with God is right at the heart of this. The problem is, there is something that will never stop this side of heaven wanting to try and pull you from that place. There is something that will never stop this side of heaven until the Lord returns and we go to be with him wanting to pull you from a place of faith, wanting to pull you from a place of trust, wanting to pull you from a place of walking with him moment by moment, step by step, day by day. There is something that will never stop wanting to pull you in a different direction. When you determine, I want to make steps towards God, there is something that wants to pull you away. Verse 17 tells us right there. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. There's this conflict, there's this tension, there's this clash to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You know, what is our flesh? Well, our flesh is our old life, our old sinful nature, our old will before God saved us, our ordinary human sinful nature, that side of us that wasn't bothered about God and what God wants and didn't even use to think about it. Anyone ever have that life? I remember that life very clearly. Never in a single day would I think about God and what God wanted and I would do stuff that I can't do now Because God has come to live in me and he's holy and he's awakened my conscience in a whole new way. But there was a kind of side of me that was never bothered about him. And life revolves more in that place around what I think, more around what I want, more around what I feel. And so the flesh chooses according to that basis. It acts according to what I want, what I think, what I feel. It chooses on that basis. It lives on that basis. It decides according to those thoughts and feelings. It centers around the world of independence. And in Romans 7 verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Okay, it leads me somewhere that's not good. But at salvation... Praise God. At salvation, when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of each one of us, did anyone else find he awakened new desires? He awakened new longings. He awakened a new level of awareness. He awakened new love. Ezekiel 36 talks about that, that, that heart of stone being replaced by the, the heart of flesh that we might obey and follow his statutes. And when he comes to live in us, the power of the old life is broken. But the pull of the old life never stops. The power of the old life is broken. That means it doesn't have to reign and have dominion and have hold over me. But I don't know, I'm perhaps not preaching you real happy right now. Uh, But the reality is, as much as a kind of a gospel that says, come to Jesus, you'll never have a problem and all that, it might sell and it might pack out arenas, but it's not reality and it's not biblical. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so the old life, the power of the old life, broken, but the pull of the old life continues. So I go through this life feeling that conflict, feeling that tension. Anyone else ever feel it? Just me? <laughs> You know, the tension that comes in their moments, what, what I want, what I feel, what I desire, how I want to respond in this moment. Someone cut me up across like three lanes the other day on the Hardwick, turning into Sainsbury's. They were wide left, and they came all the way across from the left in one foul swoop. And I pleasantly braked near enough to a standstill and said, God bless you, you know, on the middle of the Hardwick. No, I didn't. I mean, "Oh No, Jesus wouldn't want me to do that. I honk the horn far less now I've come to Christ. But I do still honk it sometimes. And sometimes I honk it hard. I don't even know where I am in my notes. The pull remains, yes. So walking by the Spirit actually is choosing to say, I, I, I choose to not be controlled by and motivated by those drives that used to drive my life before... I I turn away from that stuff. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want Him to lead me. I want Him to guide me. I want Him to direct me. Because the Holy Spirit wants to help us to live in harmony with the will of God for our life. The Holy Spirit wants to help us to live according to God's plan and purpose for our life. He wants to direct our feet in such a way that's lining up with what God wants to do. And the devil don't like it. And so he'll, he'll always try and promote and encourage your flesh, and we'll come on to seeing that in a moment, and pull you from that. But it's about moment by moment, step by step, saying, do you know what? I want to live for you, Jesus. Every day. And walking by the, the Spirit is letting the Holy Spirit lead us so that actually what God says, what God desires, what God thinks, feels, becomes stronger in us than what I do, than what my flesh does. So I'm asking and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to create in me a desire and a hunger for God and a knowledge. I want to know, God, what do you want me to do in this circumstance? I I, I kind of know what I think and I feel and I, I feel the pull towards that. But Jesus, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, awaken that. And then when those desires, what He wants, begins to actually squash and suppress the things that I think or feel, then I think that's really when the Holy Spirit's leading. When we begin to follow him in that and this obeying of him and this living for him, letting him lead. And yet there's this constant conflict we experience. There's two ways of walking that Paul says in life. I live by the spirit. I walk by the spirit or I can live by the flesh or I can walk by the flesh. And this constant tension and conflict. But the Bible, as I said, you know, it's real about that. It talks about things like fighting the good fight of faith. It talks about putting on the armor of God. It talks about standing. It talks about being a good soldier. And so this kind of two worlds, these two kind of, you know, I don't know if I should use words agents. I don't almost sound right. But there's this kind of like clash of, the Spirit and the flesh want in different things. They're at odds with each other. They pull in different directions, lead to different places. And I think that before me in every moment, in every day, lies moments when I can say, am I going to live by the Spirit? Am I going to live by the flesh? So I begin my day in that way, but then through the course of the day, I take those small steps of just choosing Him. And so the critical question for us today Is this, is in our lives and in our meetings, can we learn to recognize what is me? What is the old me? What's the enemy? And what is God? Can I recognize his voice? Friends, we can. In every day, throughout the day, in the moments of the day. Just as my relationship began from a place of faith, trust, dependency, humility, yielding, it continues it's the key to hearing his voice. And as I walk by the Spirit, I'll come back to that in a moment. The fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed this? It talks about the works of the flesh, but the fruits of the Spirit. Not the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, the fruits of the Spirit. What is the Bible trying to teach us? What is God trying to teach us? You can't work your way to fruitfulness. That won't produce life and fruitfulness. Do you remember where we were at the beginning? I need you. And as I begin to walk by him and with him and through him, the fruit begins to grow in my life. It's not our work. It's God's fruit. And walking by the Spirit, like Paul says, is just no good thing comes from, lives from, is, is from within my flesh. It's just acknowledging every day in my life I need you, Holy Spirit. When I come to that moment and I, which way do I go? I need you, Holy Spirit. You know, I think I've said this many times now, but my family will testify that I'm a much nicer person when I'm walking closely with the Lord. I'll tell you why that is, because when we live from that place that I've talked about faith, trust, yield in, the fruit of the Spirit just begins to appear in our life. There's that gentleness. There's that patience. When that side of my life begins to drift, oh, the flesh, the impatience, the intolerance, the grumpy old Daryl, the snappy Daryl, begins to kind of have sway. I find that this... I don't want to sound like high and spiritual. I just... Because what I'm saying is you don't work your ways, you just begin to find it. I begin to find when I walk with the Lord, I think differently, I feel differently, I react differently. You're not trying, oh, I need to react differently in this situation. It just begins to happen because it's not the work of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're invited to a life that actually connects me to him and allows him to live out through me and for fruitful, life-giving ways to begin to emerge in my life. Now I'm nearly done. It's so important then that I feed my spirit man, not my flesh man, because whichever I feed grows stronger. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. There's an old part of the life that just, I'm not interested in God. I don't want to submit to what God says. Romans 8.14 says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are really the children of God. So this is my closing thought today. If you'll just bear with me for a little bit longer. It's a reasonable length closing thought. Being honest. The sons of God are led by the Spirit. That means to me they don't go ahead of the Spirit. So at the beginning, I said to us that the way this life began is the way it continues. We never advance, I said, beyond what we called gospel living. So the first time Jesus ever calls any disciples, we've got that in Mark chapter 1 and verse 17. What were the first two words he called out? Follow me. Follow me. That's where it began. Not go ahead of me, follow me. Friends, Jesus didn't die on a cross to follow you. I'm called as a disciple from the beginning and to the end to follow him. Eric Gilmar said, when Jesus said follow me, he is saying, in a sense, do whatever you must to remain in my presence. It means abide, stay near me, look at me, behind me, stay in stride with me, synchronized step by step with me. I don't know sometimes if I'm a little bit guilty about heading into things and just saying, Jesus, follow me. And actually the call upon my life from him is, no, you follow me. And here's my thought, really. It's a simple one. It's not going to blow your mind. You can't walk and keep your eyes on someone when you're in front of them. You can only do that when you're behind them. If I start walking ahead of my wife, I'm going to be doing this all the time to know where she is. I can't keep my, but if I'm behind her, then I keep my eyes on her. It's about, this is what it's about. Every day of my life, moment by moment, seeking, say, I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. Let him lead. When we take our eyes off him, we begin to lose our way. And so I think about Peter. His eyes are on Jesus, he walks on the water. His eyes are taken off Jesus, he begins to sink. He sits around a campfire with Jesus having breakfast. After messing up spectacularly. Anyone else love Peter? I love Peter. Spectacularly messed up. His world, his life, he just feels broken. His eyes are really on his failure, how badly he's stuffed up. Jesus gets his eyes off his failure. There's two key words in there that he speaks in verse 19. Verse 19. Follow me. He calls him back to that place. Follow me. It's the call that was upon your life, Peter. I'll call you back. Follow me. Jesus' relationship is beautifully restored. He glances across. He sees John. And he says to Jesus, what about him? Jesus effectively says this. Don't you worry about him. You follow me. See, friends, it's really hard to follow Jesus if you spend your lifetime comparing and competing with others. If you look around, I'm not as good as them, or I'm not as great as them, or I want to be better than them, you can't follow Jesus properly. Lastly, I think about him in Matthew chapter 16. He has this, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? The Son of Man, who is he? Who, is he? who do they say? Well, this and this and this. Who do you say I am? We get that incredible revelation from Peter. Em, um, I wonder if you and the bank could just come back and just begin to play Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Just a moment later, he takes his eyes off Jesus, focuses on what he wants, and the wheels fall off. Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to hot off the heels of this great revelation. To show his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. saying, say it, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Then it's the, get behind me, Satan. We, You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Two verses earlier, your eyes are on Jesus. The Spirit's revealing stuff to you. It's a couple of verses later, your eyes are off Jesus. The flesh kicks in. What Peter wants to happen begins to kick in. I think he probably thinks he's doing Jesus a favor as well. Because his heart and his intentions are like, I want to save you from that. No way you're going to go through that. And what actually what Jesus begins to see happen is that Peter is, his, what he wants to happen is starting to get ahead of Jesus. He's kind of pushing ahead with what he thinks and what he feels. And so he says, get behind me. And then you get this, get behind me, comma, Satan. You think, ouch, I just came to this conclusion. The devil will always want to try and shove you, push you to go ahead. He'll always want to try and encourage you and push you to step in front of Jesus' plan and purpose. It's what he did in the garden. Put what you want, what you feel, what you think ahead of God. Focus on that and we know they fall. And the devil will always try and encourage us. He'll always try on that flesh side of us. Hey, you try and go ahead of Jesus. Just think about what you think. Think about what you feel. Decide according to that. React according to that. Let me shove you in front of him. He'll always encourage our fleshly thoughts and feelings and desires. But if we go ahead, we're not being led. And if we're not being led, Galatians says, then we don't see life and fruitfulness in our lives and church. If we go ahead, we don't reach the purposes The plans. We don't see the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans. We don't discover his will for our life. Because friends, we are called to follow. Not lead. Follow. Should we just stand to our feet? Perhaps then you can begin to pray. So I come back to a question I asked at the start. If we don't have Jesus physically here now, like the disciples did then, what does following him look like in 2023? where Galatians 5 says we have to let the Spirit who is God on earth lead. Maybe you feel this idea of being led by the Spirit sounds quite kind of high and super spiritual, and well, there's only a few people who can tap into that. Maybe you even think today it's beyond you. It's really not. I want to suggest to you today it's just the fruit of investing in your relationship with God. Actually, I believe the more that happens, the more normal and natural it will become to respond according to what the Spirit wants. Walking and listening to Him every day, it's just about this simple thought that the more we get to know Him, the more familiar His voice becomes. John 10, Jesus said, My sheep know My voice. They recognize My voice. I heard this quote, that says, God is not a thundering voice from outside, but a familiar voice inside. And so following him means now by the Holy Spirit, becoming familiar to the voice and the leading of God. And that happens through relationship. In your life, think of some of your closest relationships. You know that person's voice and you'd recognize it anywhere. They sometimes walk into a room or a building. You don't even see them. You hear their voice and you turn to someone and say, oh, that's Jim or that's Emma. Or When you hear their voice, there's an awareness, a heightened awareness. It sparks an awareness because you know that voice. I want to just suggest the more familiar his voice becomes to us, the more walking in the spirit will become normal and natural. And so my prayer on this kind of second part of what I'm sharing with you is simply this. Help me this year, Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus. Would you say that with me this morning? Help me this year, Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus.